0: 20, verses 5 through 13. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. This is the word of God.
1: You can be seated. There will be a time in your life. And perhaps as you sit here this morning, when I say these words, this comes to your mind, but there will be a time in your life when you don't know what to do. There will come a time, or there has been already a time in your life, when you say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do in the situation I'm in. And I don't know how to pray in the situation in which I find myself. And so this morning, we discover Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. And so that you understand, um, after Solomon's reign... Uh, So you had King Saul, King David, and then Solomon, David's son. After Solomon's reign, uh, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. In the north, it was called Israel. And so it gets confusing here if you don't keep this in mind. In the north, the divided kingdom was called Israel. In the south, uh, the divided kingdom or the southern part was called Judah. Now... Before we encounter Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, we know some things about him from reading uh, the the chapter prior. And I'll point those things out to you. Jehoshaphat made an ungodly alliance with Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. And uh, he was confronted for doing that. And once he was confronted, he repented of that. Ahab died. And Jehoshaphat uh, set his heart, in verse 3 of 19, to seek God. I want to say to you this morning, there may be some of you who sit here, and I'll say this as an aside, and as you sit here this morning, you have not set your heart to seek God. You've walked in here, maybe wandering. and Jehoshaphat shows there's hope for you. You're in the right place. You can set your heart to seek God, and Jehoshaphat did. And then he goes to the people over whom he is king. This is Judah, and he says to them, you uh, come back to the Lord, and he brings them back, verse 4. In verse 6, he appointed judges throughout the land and said to the judges, you judge not for man, but for the Lord. In verse 7, he says to those judges, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. And then he appoints Levites to serve in the temple and to restore the priesthood to this uh, country that had uh, gotten away from God. And he said to them, do what you do in the fear of the Lord in faithfulness and with all your heart. He says, last verse of chapter 19, deal courageously and may the Lord be with the upright. And then chapter 20 opens with two words, two words that change everything. After this, after that, what is your expectation after this? Oh, everything will be good. All will be well. Uh, God is going to so bless Jehoshaphat for all he has done, and we expect to hear a story of greatness roll out. But that isn't what happens. After this, uh, verse 1 says, the Moites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. There's this mistaken idea That if you do everything right, or you do as much as you can right, if you honor God with all of this, then God is going to look at you and everything's just going to go well. This is a clear picture of that not being the case. Jehoshaphat brought an entire nation back to the Lord. And then the enemy came marching in. Some men, verse 2, came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. Oh, this moment in history, in your personal history, can be the most painful. It's when you get the phone call... And the doctor says, you need to come in and sit down with me face to face. We need to have a conversation. And when you hear the word cancer, you remember that moment. Or it's when the letter comes in the mail in the most impersonal way, and the person that you walk down the aisle to marry says, divorce. I don't want to be with you any longer. You remember that piece of mail. You remember that day. You remember where you were sitting when you heard the news. Bad news has a way of imprinting its uh, impact onto our lives. And so here is Jehoshaphat. He's in uh, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, and they say a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. So I wanted to give you an idea. So check this map out, and this will just give you a simple idea of where we are. You see up there, the top is the Sea of Galilee, the little uh, sea there, and then we, uh, the Jordan River flows down into the Dead Sea. Judah, you see to the left. This is the southern kingdom. Now we're going to zoom in, and I'll show you what's going on. Up there where it says Benjamin, that's Jerusalem. To the south, it's a little fuzzy. Seeing in right here on the Dead Sea. That's where the enemy is. They happen to be 25 miles away from Jerusalem. It isn't one, it isn't two, but it is three armies marching in toward Jerusalem to attack them and to overthrow them. And Jehoshaphat gets that news. Verse 3, I love. I love it because of the honesty. Another little fact you may not realize that 1 and 2 Chronicles, though they occur here, are the last books written in the Old Testament. So they're the very last books written in the Old Testament. This is the last word from God for 400 years of silence. First and 2 Chronicles are the last books. We're not sure who wrote them, but we think Ezra did. And so if Ezra wrote these books, he's writing 400 years after this happened. So 400 years after it happened, he's using the books of 1st and 2nd Kings. Those are his references and the stories as they have been passed down, a perfect oral tradition in those days, and he's writing. And what does he say in verse 3? Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. The king was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. That's not good spin. If you're trying to be the personal spokesman for the leader of a nation and the armies are marching in, it doesn't matter how scared they are, they're going to stand up and say, we got this. Right? They're going to put their spin on it. They're going to say, We got a plan, and they're coming in, but we've got a plan. And that isn't what happens here. What happens here is Jehoshaphat is afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all those cities you saw on that map, they came. And they came in to seek the Lord. And then Jehoshaphat prays, and that's what Margaret read for you this morning. And from Jehoshaphat's prayer, we learn three principles for praying during hard times. And these are hard times. Hard times for our church as we continue to mourn. There are hard times for you personally as you continue to battle cancer, as you continue to go through the divorce you're going through, as you continue to look for a job. You are facing difficult times. How do you pray? Three principles. Number one, remember who God is. Principle number one, remember who God is. What does Jehoshaphat say? He says, O Lord, God of our fathers. O Lord, God of our fathers. There's a lot packed in there that we can't see right straight up in the English. Anytime you see the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it is that revered name for God they dare not pronounce, they dare not say, our English translations, render it Lord with all caps. It's the name of God that when Moses stood before the burning bush and he looked at God who was speaking to him through the burning bush, and God said, I want you to go back, you a fugitive, into that land and bring my people out. And Moses looked at, uh, at that burning bush that wasn't consumed and said, God, who am I going to tell has sent me to go back there? And he says, you tell them... And it's this name right here, Lord. Yahweh, it's often rendered by us. Jehovah, it can also, it's complicated how you get there. I could explain it to you later. But it means I am who I am. It can also mean I will be who I will be. When he calls on the Lord, he is saying, you are who you are. You will be who you will be. And right now, we're in trouble. Remember who God is. But he says, God of our fathers. And he lists them. Who are they? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't list them, but we know who he's talking about. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is that important? Genesis 17 is why. In Genesis 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham, an agreement. And in this covenant, some pretty amazing and grotesque things happen. The way covenants happen between kings in those days is you take an animal, cut it in half. And so if you're the lesser king, you would walk through the pieces of that animal and you would look to the greater king and say this, May it be done to me as has been done to this animal if I break this covenant. What were you saying? Listen, sir, you are the powerful king. I'm the weak king. You are the powerful guy. I'm the weak guy. If I break this covenant, you can rip me in half and walk between those bleeding pieces of a fresh-cut animal. Well, God shows up, tells Abraham to take three of them, and he does and cuts them in half and lays them out. And what should happen next? Abraham should get up, walk between those pieces of that animal, and look to God and say, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals if I break this covenant. But that didn't happen. What happened? Abraham fell asleep. All right, he dozed off. Some of you have done that. I've noticed. Uh, Abraham dozed off. He just dozed off. He fell asleep. He fell into a deep sleep. And when he fell into a deep sleep, God appeared in the form of a boiling pot, and he passed through the pieces. Well, why? God is the stronger. Abraham is the weaker. Why would the stronger ever do that? Was God saying this? May it be done to me as has been done to these animals if I break this covenant? No. Why? God never lies. That would be illogical for him to say that. What was he saying? I love Tim Keller's take on this. He said, God was saying, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals if you break this covenant. What? Yeah. Did Abraham break the covenant? More than once. Did God keep good on his word? Oh, Jehoshaphat didn't see the day, but on the cross, God made good on Genesis 17. He was torn in two, his bones came out of joint on the cross because God was saying to Abraham, I will be torn in two for your sin. And when Jehoshaphat says, Jehoshaphat says, God of our fathers, he knows about that covenant. Are you not God in heaven, he asked. Why does that matter? We talked about heaven in my Bible fellowship group this morning. Uh, Great discussion. Why does that matter? Heaven means God has a vantage point that you and I don't. God sees what we can't see. And prayer ought to remind us he's there. We're here. We need to see what he sees, but we can't are you not god in heaven he says you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you all right what's the problem right now the problem right now for jehoshaphat is that armies are marching in they've got kings in charge of them and what does god what does jehoshaphat pray god you rule Oh, those kings think they rule, but God, you do. Those kings think they're in charge, but God, you're in charge. Those kings think that they're going to have their day, but God, you always have your day. You rule. There will be those times in your life, church, when you pray, you will not feel like praying this, but when you pray, if you do not want to be engulfed or overwhelmed by your circumstances, you must, in a disciplined way, see a God who is completely in control, completely in charge, who sees the end from the beginning, and you do not understand what's going on, but you know there is a God who sees it all. Amen? He sees everything. He's in heaven. We are here. None is able to withstand you. What does this mean? Our reflections in prayer, don't miss this, on who God is need to be directly connected with our struggle that we're going through. If you read the Psalms, David wrote praise to God for who he was in light of what? He was going through. It is so good to reflect on the character of God. You say, Jerry, how can I practically do this? I'm going to give you a very practical way right now. Internet makes this easy. Always have to be careful what you find on the Internet. So so check it out or just email one of us if you have questions. But here's one of the best ways I've ever found. The names of God. His names. You say, what do you mean? All through the Old Testament, God reveals himself, and in all these places, names show up. When Abraham uh, is offering Isaac on the altar, and he doesn't have to because there's a ram called in the thicket, God shows up as Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who provides. If you sit here this morning and you have great need, it's good to talk to him and say, I know that you are Jehovah-Jireh. If you go to uh, one of the later books, the minor prophets in the Old Testament, you'll see him uh, in a current state that isn't good, uh, 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 prophesying among a people who are unappreciative, and he reflects on Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. There will be times in your life when you will not sense him here, but will hope for when he is near when you are there. Jehovah Shema. When they were going to battle against the Amalekites, and the Amalekites were Israel's fiercest enemies, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, the flag that flies over us is none other than God himself. Anytime they were going into battle, they called on El Shaddai. God Almighty. Or Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the host of armies. Wow, it's just great to look at these. So number one, remember who God is. Number two, remember what God did. Now remember, Jehoshaphat is praying in front of them. And in verse eight, or verse seven, he says, did you not Our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. So he remembers what God has done. What is Jehoshaphat remembering? One book of the Old Testament, Joshua. Joshua is battle after battle after battle. God in Joshua just just kicks rear ends and takes names. I mean, it is conquest after conquest after conquest after conquest. And you read that book and all of its chapters, and you think, wow, that took so long, 20 years. 20 years, everything in the book of Joshua happened. God stormed into the promised land, and he took over through his people. And that's what Jehoshaphat says. Did you not? Our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. I love that. Have you ever needed to get into some place but you really didn't have a ticket in? So what do you try to do? Well, you hope you have a friend, right? And you'll go to your friend and you'll say, you know, you know where you're headed? I'd love to go. Do you know the person in charge? Yes. I love what Jehoshaphat does. He says, God, you had a friend one time. His name was Abraham. You did something for him that it'd be nice if you do for me. Remember what God did. You say, Jerry, how do I practically do this? It happens in a couple of ways. If you're in a Bible fellowship group, Uh, a home group of some kind. And you look around and you see a woman who lost her husband. And you remember how hard it was at the time. And you honestly wondered, would she ever get through it? But time has passed and there she sits She never lost her faith. And you go, God, if you could do that, then you can do this. Or maybe you're you're in your divorce care group or your singles group and your divorce is so fresh. Your disappointment is so significant. But you look down the way, and there sits somebody who went through a very unfair divorce. And they worship. And they love Jesus. And all of a sudden you think, I can too. If we just look where we are at Grace this year, and we have prayed and continue to pray for the Hensleys, And we look back and think on the Kingsleys. And we'll see them come in here and worship. They've not missed a beat. I honestly thought, because of the nature of that, how hard it would be just to pull back in this parking lot. And they did, seven days later. I look at that and go, God... If you can do that, for them, you could do that for the Hensleys. And I pray like that. I see Adam Kenninger sitting here this morning. The Hollifields aren't here. Beverly's battling cancer. Rachel is. Janet Spake is not here as she is taking chemo and battling cancer. And I see many of you who've battled cancer. And I say, if you can walk through and keep the faith, they can too. That's why Paul would say, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. I look around the room and I'm reminded of people who saw their mother or their dad through Alzheimer's become somebody they couldn't even recognize. Through dementia become somebody that they didn't even know. Say things to them they thought mom or dad would never say. And they sit here, you sit here and you worship this morning. When at the time you thought, this is a living hell. You say, Jerry, I I don't know what to pray right now. I'll tell you what you can pray. You can look at what God has done. And that will build your faith. For this thing we're having tomorrow night, we have to write a little history of our church and did that and discovered that in the past 14 years, almost, we began counting in 2000, we baptized 408 people. Does God still save? Yes. You may sit here this morning and you say, oh, Jerry, my case is too hard for God. You don't know the sin I've been in. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Can God save me? Yes. Yes. Oh yes, we could just march people before you all day long and you would hear story after story after story of people who've been in the depths of drugs or they've been steeped in works or they've been caught up in their own selves and God by his grace has reached down and pulled them out of sin and brought them out of darkness into marvelous light. Amen? He still saves people. He's still in the business of taking people and turning their lives around. This week had lunch with a man in our church who talked about the difference in his life. Almost 60 years of being out, almost 50 years of being out of church. And he's back and he loves it. And he says, I can't wait to get to that. Every single Sunday, he's digging in the Word, he's studying, he's asking questions. Here is a man who never in his wildest imagination saw that this place in his life, he would be loving God, but he is. Does God still save people? Yes. He does. That's what Jehoshaphat says. Remember what God did. He says, you gave it to your descendants. And he goes on to say, and and we'd meet right here in this place and we'd pray. Right here before the temple, you told us to do it. When war is coming, and if you go back and read uh, 1 Kings, I think, chapter 8, where Solomon is dedicating the temple, Solomon says, God, at this very place, if the enemy comes, we're going to meet here, and we're going to worship you, and we're going to meet here, and we're going to pray to you. This is what we're going to do, God. When the enemy comes and Jehoshaphat says, I've gone back and done my homework, and God, you said for us to come right here, you said for us to pray, you'd meet us right here. So here we are. We're doing exactly what you told us to do. This is what you told us to do. Number three, be real about what you need. I love this. And behold, he says, and now behold. Do you know what that means? God, just look at this you got to be real, guys. We're not talking about pie in the sky, ignoring you have emotions, ignoring you have feelings, ignoring you have any kind of problems. Be real about what you need. What does he say? Men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And then I love this. We're powerless against this great horde. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Be real about what you need. Remember hearing Swindoll say years ago, that a friend of his who was a pastor had a three-year-old son who wandered out of his yard into the yard of a neighbor, fell into the pool, and drowned. That's when Dahl said, I asked my pastor friend, what did you do? He said, I got in my car And I rode through the mountains of California, and I said things to God that nobody else will ever hear. That I wouldn't say in front of anybody else, you will have those times. Can God handle that? Yeah. Can he handle that guttural, honest, God, I'm so blown away by this, I'm so confused. God, this makes no sense to me. God, I don't understand why you did this or what you're doing. I don't know what to do. God, I've done all these reforms. I brought an entire nation back to you. And look, you're bringing, we have all of these armies coming in. There will be those times in your life when God doesn't make sense. Bad things happen to God's people. And out of that mass of people, we've got moms and dads and kids, and they're all standing around. A guy by the name of Jehaziel, God's prophet, says, Hold up. Hold up. Jehoshaphat's finished praying now. Jehaziel says, God has spoken. God has spoken. Tomorrow we're going to go up against them. Well, I hope so. You can hear them advancing in the background. Tomorrow we're going to go up against them, but we're not going to have to fight. The battle is the Lord's. He's going to fight for us. What happens? I love this. They fell down before the Lord and began to worship Him. Could you please hear me? This is huge. We're about to do this. Worship sometimes is sheer discipline. You won't feel like singing, you won't feel like praying. You don't do it because of what He's done or because of what he hasn't done. You do it because he's God, and you're his boy, or you're his girl, and you're going to worship him. The armies are still marching. The battle hasn't been fought. And they fell on their face, and they worshiped the Lord, and they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. What does he say? Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. Now, this is an easy believism here. All right, if you believe, we're going to march, and we got three armies coming against us, and how are we going to fight? We're going to sing a song. This isn't, all right, just in case, I'm going to put a gun in my pocket. Just in case, let me put the sword on. No, if you look at what Jehoshaphat does, he sends the Levites, the worship leaders, out front. And they began to sing, and the people join in them. And the song that they sing is this Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, his love endures forever. That's what they say. It's right here. What? Armies are marching in. They're coming in. And they can hear them coming from Engedi. And they hear the armies and they're singing. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. While the armies are marching. So they worshiped. And the armies marched. The scripture says, "God set an ambush. While his people marched forward singing, and while the armies came marching toward them, God set an ambush. And what happened? Well, the place, the people turned on each other, and it took three days to get the spoil. Three days. And then, probably to me, the most fascinating thing of all of this." They named the place Barakah. Barakah means blessing. They named the place Barakah. B-E-R-A-C-A-H, and it means blessing. And when I read that at first, oh, that makes sense. Why? God blessed them. That's not why they named it Barakah. They named it Barakah because there they blessed God. Today, we're going to name this place Barakah. Uh, We've yet to have a lot of questions answered. We've yet to see, we've seen some whys, but we still have questions. But guess what? We're going to clear out a spot We're going to call it Barakah, and we're going to worship. But, Jerry, I don't feel like it. Understand. We're going to worship. The altar is open. Some of you may need some of these people who've suffered to pray with you. If you come down, I guarantee you they'll find you. They'll leave where they are, and they'll surround you. Let's stand. Barakah, let's bless the Lord. If you need to pray, please come. Please come.